This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Relax, this is Topop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. You had to count yourself in because we're in the same space for once. Uh, and I fucked it you up. You fucked it up. <laughs> All you have to really do is count three, two, one. It is increasingly the most difficult part of our show for anybody to get right is the countdown into us starting. So you've you you went to go with three, two, one, and instead you've just said, everyone relax. Yeah. <laughs> Which ironically is more confusing than than relaxing. Exactly. And also is the start of the podcast technically. So you could have just said We never used relax. to do the countdown. That was a that was a Mike Howell um institution. He brought that in, which was like it was good, made us feel professional and stuff. But Yeah, but we we took it for granted. Yeah. We assumed at the time that what Mike Howell was doing was something that was quite easy. Yeah. Coming back from three <laughs> to one and starting the episode. But it turns out that it has an incredible degree of difficulty that we did not expect. Also too, like I think we rush to three, two, one when we do it ourselves. Like the idea of three, two, one is to allow you to prepare. Three, two, one. It should be a gen- not three, two, one, go. <laughs> but that actually makes you more anxious. And particularly as you were the person who was counting it down, you had full control over your level of anxiety that you would start the podcast with. And it got, it, ironically, everyone was not relaxed. It was the least relaxed you will be for the next hour and a half. I mean, we've been doing this a long time. We've been using the catchphrase, everyone relax for about eight years. But every time I say it, there's a part of me that's like, is it everybody relax? Like I always, I still... <laughs> I every still every single person relax. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone in the world relax. I mean, if we just decided to change it, like we just amend it to everybody relax, does that change the vibe? Are we betraying our roots? Well, we're betraying people who don't have bodies because like, you know, maybe in the future, this is being listened to by civilization, Futurama style, which is just heads. Evolved beyond physical forms. You know, brains and heads preserved in some sort of like, you know, mm. robot body, but human brain. And the fact that we're saying everybody relax is discriminatory. It's interesting you should bring that up uh, because um, I'm, I've stayed with you overnight. I've come into into town for a bit and I stayed with you last night. I had a great night. Um, met some of your friends. We played Trivial Pursuit. But I noticed around your house, you, out of all my friends, is one of the most paranoid about AI. But I have noticed in your house, you have integrated AI. You have a Roomba. You have a, a, an automated cleaning robot in your house. And then I looked out into your pool and you had like a little, uh, like the creepy crawly creeping. It's like, oh, isn't this funny? Will, Mr. I Hate Robots, has two in his employ. I think the pool one would be very grateful to be included as a robot. <laughs> the pool one is pretty fucking basic. Well, it's well, it's basically any, an underwater Roomba, right? I don't think that there's any sort of artificial robotic technology involved in the pool cleaner one. I think it's just a isn't machine it? that you put in the pool and it just like, it doesn't sense where oh, right. the corners or the corners edges, are. Or edges are. It just goes, it just moves, does its thing. Well, it stops when it gets out of water. So I guess there's some, some sort of sensor. intelligence, but it is very basic. Like essentially, can it be artificial dumbness? <laughs> like it's not necessarily intelligence. 
So the Roomba is artificial intelligence. And in fact, there's been articles that say that Roombas will um, map your house and then oh. send the information back. So there is technically... And in, but the thing is, we don't really use the Roomba in each of the rooms of the house. So I think even Roomba HQ, big AI down at Roomba HQ, only has a limited understanding of the layout of my house. Um, whereas the pool one is more like, what's that Hugh Jackman film where he builds robots, fighting robots? Um, Real Steel. So the pool one is like the model that Hugh Jackman finds. The junkie one. Yeah, one day dreams of being a Roomba. Right. The pool one dreams of being Do you think he aspires? to the point where he can yeah. get out of the fucking cold water every day and get into the house and uh, clean up some stuff. I mean, that's quite a poignant image. Like, if you shot it from the, the Creepy Crawlies POV, like, he's just looking up through that body of water. He just sees that kind of shimmering, your house is like the castle on a hill, and maybe he's even seen the Roomba at some point. Maybe when you bought the Roomba, you guys come home and through his watery visage she saw you guys carrying a Roomba and he's like oh what's that the 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 the, the skin monkeys have brought something home yeah this is an inside me they've yeah. got an inside me <laughs> an updated inside me yeah but the thing is I think that the uh the one in the pool doesn't work outside the pool for whatever reason right and conversely I don't think the Roomba would work in the pool so why if we would... took the Roomba down to the pool if the Roomba one day became sentient Shit, I think man. the first thing that I would do is just chuck the Roomba in the pool but that's got to be uh, in the works right Roomba have got to be going look we're nailing the cleaning the house market but we just need to build a waterproof Roomba and we can take we can put creepy crawly out of business well you need an amphibious Roomba one that oh, is good in both, both. conditions also good then if you spill something inside the house, like you spill some water or you want to clean up in the bathroom after like a shower or a bath or whatever, yeah. you can send in your amphib- amphibious Roomba. And tell me, is the Roomba sucking or sweeping? Um, or both? Both? I think it sucks and sweeps at the same so time. So it's got right? like a little brush that sweeps as it moves and it also, it's got a little bit of suction pulling dust up, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's both. It has then a a sweep then suck motion, I imagine, (laughs) the Roomba. It's no good just to suck. You need to sweep and suck. Well, do you really? Because when you're doing a vacuum, isn't that just sucking? You're not sweeping when you use a proper vacuum, you're just sucking. Well, no, but you technically are. You are the the sweep. You're the sweeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've taken myself out of this situation. I just push a button and the Roomba does my job and its job all at once. Did you have any reservations about getting the Roomba? I didn't even know about the mapping of the house. Did you research that before the Roomba came in? Uh, I was aware of it and I decided that I didn't care. I don't have... I have a Google Nest system throughout the house. It's not like an Alexa or you know, a thing mm. that you talk to, but it is you know, a Wi-Fi extender, basically, to make sure that we have internet around the house. We obviously have internet. Obviously, all of that is being monitored anyway. Mm. There are some concessions to modern day life <laughs> that you just go, all right, well, I'm willing to employ an AI to sweep up when I couldn't be bothered sweeping up. Now, to be fair, I still do a weekly vacuum with the old school vacuum around the house as well because there are some things that the Roomba's no good at like it can't the Roomba and I'm glad about this is not climbing up the walls to dust yeah that would be creepy to wake up in the middle of the night you you look up and it's on the fucking ceiling just one red light blinking oh what a feeling I'm rumbering on the ceiling (laughs) but that would be the next practical step if you could come up with a Roomba that somehow cleans wall then became a wall cleaner and a duster and like you know was able to do that then that's when it's really gone to the next practical level that must be close right like self-cleaning kitchen self-cleaning bathroom like you know those 
um, uh, public toilets where they the door will close and they just blast everything with water and disinfectant. Like, surely, I'm sure Bill Gates's house or you know uh, Elon Musk, they have a self cleaning bathroom because it makes sense if you can afford to do it. Why wouldn't you just you leave the bathroom and it gets blasted and disinfected and big fan dries it out and then you walk in? It's. I mean. I guess you're right. Like, if they can do that for a public toilet, yeah. then I guess you could do it at least for, say, your pool room or your garage or something that you're not worried about everything getting wet or blasted. You yeah, know, you wouldn't have, like, your best towels or linen in there or anything See, like that's that. the problem with the bathroom thing. If you just think this is your standard bathroom, I can't imagine that you would want to keep your... Yeah, the sort of things that you keep in your bathroom on the shelf, you know. Well, at least your toilet. If you had a separate toilet for the rest of the bathroom, you could blast that and disinfect it every time you've walked out. Seems like an awful waste of water and power. Well, it wouldn't necessarily have to be even water. I imagine there is some system of disinfectant. Like you could blast it with like, you know, sunlight. You know, they could be harnessing right. the power of the sun and oh, then yeah. blast the entire thing with, you know, the energy of the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Again, seems really unnecessary. You can just go in there with like a, you know, a cloth and a bottle of Ajax, you'll be fine. Well, this is the other thing about Elon Musk or Bill Gates. They probably don't need that technology because they can just hire someone to do that job. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's this guy, um, Jacques Fresco, who's like a futurist. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if he's still alive, but um, Gemma was way into his YouTube videos about 10 years ago because he was this futurist who kind of envisioned a world in which his, his idea is that like we have the technology um, that the entire world can become automated and we have resources to feed the entire world. What we shouldn't be relying on manual aid. We should be using technology to improve the lives of everyone, build housing, you know, agriculture, all this kind of stuff. And that would then give human beings, you know, time to focus on what they want. If you want to keep working, doing labor job, you can, but the economy wouldn't be dependent on, you know, the labor market. Everything, everything would be taken care of because of technology. He was saying we shouldn't be using airplanes because they're they're inefficient. They burn too much fuel, too much carbon emissions. Should all be high speed rail, underwater rail, underground rail, magnets or something like that. Add something to magnets, magnets. Definitely magnets. <laughs> <laughs> but his whole idea was that, like all this stuff becomes um, automated. And then you don't, it, it's not a question of, do you hire someone to come clean, you know, your house, whatever. It's just, well, there's robots that do that. But this has always been the great false promise of automation, right? Is that it gets rid of all the jobs that people don't want to do. But yeah. what we tend to find actually in society, what happens is it gets rid of those jobs, but it doesn't Why, add so to the benefit of those lives. Yeah. Like it is the rich people who benefit from automating the jobs. So it's like Amazon. You have all these people working for the biggest company in the world. You have them working in the company in fulfillment centers and eventually Amazon's like, well, it'd just be cheaper to replace you all with robots. Mm. And then all those thousands of people are suddenly unemployed. It's not like their lives have been made better by that automation. Well, his theory, I believe the phrase uses a resource-based economy. So rather than like, you know, people work to earn money to buy things, it's all, well, no, every country has its own resources and, you know, whatever your country manufactures, that becomes your currency and then you automate that and blah, 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 blah. I mean, look, it's obviously a very complex uh, 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 idea and would require the entire planet. Well, the idea agreeing. being that we, for perhaps the first time in our history, and I don't understand enough about history to know if this is entirely true, but let's just say this is true for the sake of this thought, which is for the first time ever in our history, we probably have enough for everybody. Mm. That may not be true. I mean, I think population-wise, we're starting to stretch the limits of our resources. But let's just imagine that in the world, there is enough wealth and resource to, for everybody to have adequate mm. 
And yet we're living at a time where a handful of people have most of it and most people don't have anything. Mm. How do you tip the balance without a violent bloody revolution? I don't know if there is a way without a violent bloody revolution. I think that uh, VBR is the only way out of what we're going through. And I guess, and look, I'm not here to defend billionaires. But I think... <laughs> no, Charlie. <laughs> yes, you are. Finally, the true purpose of TOEFOP has been revealed. No, but I, I imagine that if you are... Just say you, you're, not the, you're not the guy who made the money. You're the, the children of a billionaire. You're mm. someone who's been born into wealth and that's all you've ever known. Mm. Like, how, would you, how could you possibly have any context for the, the way normal people live? You know, you just assume this is the world you've grown up in where your father buys and sells companies and you know, you've never wanted for anything and all your friends are also very rich. I remember hearing an interview with um, uh, that artist, the Facebook artist, the guy, you know, he got shares in Facebook because he did a mural for them and suddenly was worth half a billion dollars. And him saying that once you become elite wealthy, everything changes. You can no longer hang out with normal people because you just don't speak the same language anymore. Like, well, you it, don't understand how anything works. You go into their toilet, they've got like paper and some sort <laughs> what of cleaning product. It's like, don't you normally just push a button and the entire thing disinfects with the power of the sun? Well, he was saying, because he had a gambling problem for a while. I mean, he said, ironically, part of the Until reason- he had so much money that he's like, it's just not a problem yeah, anymore. Can't, well, I still gamble. I just cannot lose enough that's money. That's what he said. It was like Brewster's millions. Yeah. He just could not spend it fast enough. But he said, you know, ironically... If he wasn't a gambler, he wouldn't, because he's offered $30,000 for the mural or shares in this company, Facebook, and he took the shares because he's a gambler. He's like, well, I'll just take a chance on this, even though he's broke and needed the money. But he said that, you know, he, it really fueled his gambling addiction, but it's one of those things like John Lennon talking about, you know, the thing is you work so hard, you know, when when you're an artist and you get broke and then finally you start making money. But then when you're famous, everyone just gives you stuff for free anyway. And that's what this millionaire was saying is that, you know, he'll, he'll get flown into Vegas and put in the best hotel and whatever he wants is laid out for him. They want him to go to the casino and spend money. But he said, like, even if I tried my best, I couldn't, like, spend all the money I have because he's got it in, like, half of it's in high-interest, long-term savings accounts and shares and stuff. So passively, he's constantly generating income. And then after a while, you know, he got bored of it. Like, he just maxed out on gambling. He was like, okay, well, I, I thought I was getting a high. For it. But you're only getting a high because there's a risk-reward scenario. But... When there's no risk, then you're not getting the high. And isn't it a wonderful world we live in where we have the enough resources to feed everybody and half the world starves while one guy can't gamble away all the money he has <laughs> trying for doing a painting. He's like, I once did a painting and now I can't get rid of all the money that I have. I'm sure there's some starving people who's like, we've got some ideas of how you can get rid of your money. <laughs> you're right. It's horribly corrupt. It's that it's that uh, the fall of Rome type that a society a civilization just gets to a point of absolute corruption and 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 just debasing humanity to the point where there has to be a violent. Revolution. Could you come up with the idea of an ethical casino? So the idea being that the odds are stacked against the gamblers when they're in a casino, but people like to gamble. Mm. Could you open a casino where you say you all the it? profits that we make, like once we've covered our initial costs, all the profits that we make you know, go to various charities around the well, world. So they... if you go and splash $10 million at the casino and you lose $9 million, at least you walk away knowing that, that given eight of that $9 million is going to feed starving people in Africa or something. Yeah, well, you could have an ethical casino if you capped spending. Mm. Like, so people, if, if you had to do some kind of means test before you entered the casino, so you're not, you know, gambling on your family savings or your, your weekly paycheck or whatever, I don't know how you'd possibly do that. But did. I guess it's like a background check, a registry, and you would, 
if you are in financial distress, you are not allowed to enter the casino. That would be one thing, right? And then there'd be a spending limit on blackjack tables and stuff. You can't gamble more than a certain amount or relative to your income. And then, yeah, the other thing would be the profits from the casino. You'd have a pre-agreed amount of money, pre-approved amount of money that you could gamble. Yeah. Right? So you'd have to apply and say, I have $50,000 that I can spend. I've been pre-approved. So up until $50,000, I can spend all that money in the casino. Then in my ethical casino world, all the tables would be themed. Instead of being like Queen of the Nile, it would actually be like, help get books for children living on the Nile. <laughs> you know I mean? like, yeah, right. So you'd be able to go and choose. You're like, I'm going to go and play on the uh, Starving Children in Africa poker it's table. It's the Ned Flanders nachos of casinos. Right. <laughs> That's actually just a cucumber with cottage cheese. Yeah. Is there... Is or do people who gamble and go to those sort of things care little for the ethics of oh, well, I, I, Of all the things that I have an unhealthy relationship with, gambling is not one of those things. I don't... I don't I don't get the attraction of gambling to me. I think maybe it's low self-esteem. I assume I'm going to lose. And so when I, whenever I've been in a casino or been at the races or anything like that, I'm like, this just feels like I'm giving my money away. I don't understand. I don't, I don't, I don't research horses to know which is going to win money. Like, and I've got friends who are punters and they will, you know, occasionally send me tips on something. And I'm like, I don't know. It just all feels like a waste of money to me. It, I don't even like it. It doesn't feel fun to me. No. Like the idea of winning money, I don't know where this comes from. And I think part of it is, you know, I say to people, I work hard enough for my money. I'm not just going to, you know, give it away. You could argue whether what I do for my money is hard work or not. But I think that at least I feel that I've earned the money that I have. Whereas Mm. like, even if you were good at gambling, even if you're winning gambling, for me, just the appeal of having all this like, like finding, you know, the equivalent of finding $10,000 in your coat pocket when you put it on. Mm. There's not much satisfaction in spending that money to me. I, yeah. I feel like there's more satisfaction in spending money that I've earned than money that I've And won. also like the people that I know that do win at gambling, the money normally goes to stuff that is frivolous anyway. It's like they're not, it's not an income. It's not like, oh, great, I've won big. I'm going to put that into savings and then, you know, I'll come back next week. It generally goes to... This is that, spending I'm that glad night. that horse won because I've really wanted to top up my superannuation yeah. contribution. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You asked the bookie. The bookie, if you can put a percentage of your earnings into your super. I don't think it, I don't think it works like that. Come on, baby. Daddy wants to retire in a way that is socially acceptable, but not too rich and indulgent. I mean, I guess there's a difference too in terms of there's gambling and then there's kind of gambling that requires a level of skill, like poker playing, I imagine. It is gambling. Like ultimately it's a game of chance, but there is strategy that can be applied and well it feels like yeah that that's almost like a competition that has prize money yes it doesn't feel like pure gambling because there's some element of like skill involved in it right yeah i mean i guess that's at a certain level but then if you go like if you're just some punter off the street who goes to the casino to play blackjack or something is that is there skill to that that's just chance right one of the sports betting companies went back in the day when i was doing radio um at triple m with limo so like you know 10 years ago plus right um one of the sports betting companies gave us a sports betting account with 500 dollars in it it was you know just part of some promotion they were doing and they were like you know so i used that 500 dollars, like had a few bets and whatever and as soon as the 500 dollars ran out or the I had a couple of wins, so like there was a little bit more money in there for a while. But as soon as the money ran out, I'd never used 
that account again, which I believe is the complete opposite of what they want when they start doing those things. Yeah. I assume the idea is give them the first taste for give free. Give them a taste for free and then we'll just get them on the hook. And I just spent the 500 and then was just what like... What were you betting on? A couple of horse races. I have no interest in betting on horse racing and mm. particularly in the last decade, my feelings around horses and the horse industry have become incredibly complicated in mm. that like... I understand that I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of people in the horse racing industry who absolutely love their horses and take care of their horses, but there are also so many terrible stories that you hear out of the horse racing. And just on a purely instinctive level, when you see these, you know, tiny men with their whips, you know, on the back of the horses making them race, there's just a little bit of me that goes, I just don't know. With all the arguments of people saying that they like to do it, there's still a bit of me that goes... I'm not sure that they do. So strangely, like the animal cruelty is not the thing that puts me off the most. It's the actual, it's the examples of humanity. Like, uh, you know, I used to go to, I had to, uh, in publicity events I had to go to that were often during the spring carnival. And I see, you know, when you grow up in Melbourne, you know, horse racing, Melbourne Cup spring carnival, it's just sort of, you take it for granted. But then I just started taking more notice of what was going on at it and it, just grossed me out like it's just i found the whole thing so gauche the last one i went to or i went two years in a row the day starts off you know with ev looking so elegant and everyone's fucking you know top hats and how do you go top of the morning do you know <laughs> then by 5 p.m it is carnage it's like the worst music festival slash new year's eve you've ever been to if it's been raining there's people slopping around. People are drunk and messy. I saw two middle-aged men like brawling, like your dads, like not even young. You can sort of forgive young dickheads, but these were two middle-aged men, just no dignity, like punching on and rolling around in the mud while their friends are standing around trying to like pull them apart. And I'm like, this is this is like if this is meant to be the uh, uh, the peak of like you know Melbourne high society, it's fucked. It's so fucked. It shows how quickly you can go from the presentation of everything being nice to the... And this is what we're seeing in our society at the moment, right? As institutions crumble. It's much like going to the races. Mm. We had all these institutions that looked fancy and we thought we could rely on. And now we're at the stage where two dads are about to start punching each other in the car park. Well, it's just that weird thing too of everyone's boozed up and, you know, there's money at stake. Maybe some people have been saving up for this day or, you know, someone's bought a really nice dress or whatever. Or you got your little car park space. And then ultimately that shit, especially when you're looking forward to it, it is disappointing at the end. Like anything that you really look forward to, if, maybe it's not horse racing. Here's maybe. a message for you. Anything that you really look forward to will probably be disappointing. Well, no. It's and gonna... other life lessons Charlie's <laughs> teaching his daughter. It's, it's going to come to an end. And when it comes to an end, generally, like... Day three of a music festival, that's when you start getting shitty. That's when you start thinking about, oh, I just want to go home. My tent sucks, all that kind of stuff. And I feel like it's just a concentrated level of that. And there's also the added pressure of the financial strain that people are putting themselves under or the, you know, you go from the exaltation of winning on the first few races and then maybe you lose the, the second. Yeah, race. it's like New Year's Eve. Yes. Is if you were taking bets on your resolutions. Yeah. <laughs> I've got $10,000 that says that I can stop biting my fingernails in 2021. Sorry, mate. I remember when I was like in my early 20s, we used to, a friend of mine would do a car park at um, Derby Day or something like that. And uh, one year I just got, because if you've never been to the races, so everyone, you occupy a little car space and people set up tents and, you know, cheese platters and, and drinks at the back of their car. Like it's a, a kind of as close as we get to the American version of tailgating. Tailgating, that's right, yeah. 
Um, but everyone's in suits. But essentially, stuff. it's just a bunch of people in suits in a car park drinking. Yeah, drinking. Getting up early in the morning, getting stuck in traffic to go to a car park to drink. And I, uh, I don't know why. It started off that I was sneaking into like, you know, the, the Heineken tent or whatever and taking free drinks. And I was like, oh, this is easy. Like, just takes a confident wave and you walk in and get free drinks. And then I must have gotten so drunk or just so like confident to the point that I just started stealing drinks from everywhere. Like I would <laughs> literally walk up to some esky and just take a drink and get drinking. And it, it all came to a head where I walked up to this esky and I, and I turned around. There's like three guys going, what are you doing? And I, at the corner of my eye, because the, the car park is like marked with signs. So it's like, you know, this is lot four, 477 to 480 or whatever. And so out of the court peripherally without moving my eyes, I caught 477. I said, yeah, this is uh, my uh, mate's uh, Esky 478. And then I'm like, oh, 477. Oh, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. And I went to like walk around the beer and they just like stopped me and took the beer out of my hand and put it back in the Esky. It's like, yeah, look, I mean, a fair cop. That's I what, mean, that'll be the last time I'll try that. That's a bold move when you say, oh, this is the wrong one, but still try to walk out with the beer. <laughs> yeah. And it's those kind of dickheads that go. I was one of those dickheads. I can say it with uh, full confidence. I thought this was the Heine content. This is not the Heine content? Oh, sorry, guys. Well, there is a period of your life in your early 20s, too, where you do just try shit like that, sneaking into places. It's like, you got to just like test the boundaries, right? I guess it probably is a... free Getting free drinks in your early 20s yes. is like one of the... One of the great gets. Like I think getting free drinks. Free drinks are one of those things that I still have a very hard time going past. Mm. So in my line of work or in my previous line of work, as it turns out these days, but, uh, but you know, stand-up comedy, one of the great things about even if you're just doing a little set at a room for, you know, to try out some material, you know, you'll normally get free drinks. And I've had periods of my life where, you know, I've been going through a not drinking period and the hardest challenge is always going to a comedy room and like turning down the free drink, you know, getting given the drink cards and going, ah, it's a free drink. I know I can afford drinks, yeah, but there's something about a free drink that I find it very hard to walk past. Yeah. And that's, I think it's, it's almost like the, it's the same philosophy your mother has when she's like, finish all the food on your plate. Because there's some people who don't have yeah. that access to food. And like, there's some people that don't get free drinks. Yeah. I need to drink for them. There are kids in Africa <laughs> who, don't get who would drinks. really appreciate that free Heineken. So you bloody sit there and you finish it. I always find whenever I um, you know, go to like uh, reception areas of places and they have like lollies laid out, you know, especially some of the post-production places when I'm doing voiceovers, they'll have like a really good selection of like... Um, Cadbury favorites or something in a bowl or really good, good like chocolate biscuits. And that is the hardest thing is for me to sit there and be like, I'm not going to take those. Do you think it will be as hard now? Because living in a post COVID world or in the middle of COVID world, I recently watched Contagion. Yeah. And uh, one of the initial scenes is Gwyneth Paltrow at a bar with the peanuts, you know, the bowl of peanuts on the. Oh, they're covered in piss. Oh, and just covered in people's germs. And right. like, I mean, think about the idea now that we're constantly washing our hands and you know, keeping distance from people. The idea that there will be communal snacks that, yeah, you know, like course. you go into that, even if they're still wrapped, yeah. you're talking about you're grabbing something wrapper, with your hands that everybody else has touched. And even at the supermarket and stuff, you're not meant to, if you pick something up at the moment, you're meant to really kind of buy it. But people are always constantly picking oh, stuff shit. up and putting it back down. And then I bought you're a, picking it up. I bought a bloody spinach and feta roll this morning. I ate it with my hands. I mean, here's what I would say about the spinach and feta roll. She picked it up with tongs. 
And they put them in there with tongs because I've seen them put them in the heater before. And, I mean, it's been in heat, which again, I'm not scientific enough to (laughs) We're getting Joe Rogan territory. It's like, why are you wearing a fucking mask? It's been in heat. So clearly that kills everything as far as I know. It's been in a A low... A 20 pie heater. It's been in a low (laughs) consistent heat, which I believe... Call kills, the CDC. Kills all germs. We need to mass produce four and twenty pie pie warmers. <laughs> what we're going to say is we're going to lie COVID victims <laughs> in a giant four and twenty pie heater, and we believe it will get rid of everything. Uh, do we? Americans wouldn't even know what pie warm. Oh no, they'd have like sweet pie warmers, wouldn't they? What do they? I don't no, know. You go into diners; they're normally cold, and then they heat them up. Is, is that a uniquely Australian thing? The the meat pie warmer? I don't I, I can't don't remember recall seeing them in the UK. Well, you will see like the 7-Eleven hot dog, you know, sort of. But it's more sort of normally your, your rolling sort of yeah. you know, plate that'll have your hot dogs on it in it that might have been Why there for... Why are they for, rolling the hot dogs? Keep I mean, them, well, constantly, evenly... yeah, I imagine. Right, yeah. Whereas I guess you don't need to do that with a pie. You don't need a rotary system with your pie. You, but you could, right? It could be rotating like a microwave. I mean, it could be. I mean, does it matter? I guess not. I mean, I think, you know, with your pie warmer, I don't even know what, like, because it's not cooking them still, the pie warmer, is it? It's just making them them... uh, uh, palatable when you eat them. It's not about cooking them or anything. And the interesting thing is, in that pie warmer from this morning, you added, yeah, spinach and feta roll, Mm. but there's pies in there, there's veggie rolls in there, there's various different levels of consistency. And And they all get the same thing. And they all get the same thing. Yeah, in the UK, and I could be wrong about this, but I know when I've gone back to Scotland with Jem, like Greg's is the big bakery chain in the UK, and they'll have pies and sausage rolls, but they're cold. It's weird. Like, they don't have pie warmers. You just buy the the sausage roll, and I guess you eat it cold, or you take it home and heat it or something like that. I mean, you can get, like, they have little ovens in those sort of places. So, all right, I'm going to look up the pie warmer and see uh, if it's in a uniquely what we find Australian... Here. Um, pie warmer. Uh, a lot of Australian uh, results come up. I will say that. Uh, what's the history of the pie warmer? Are they called pie warmers? Yeah, pie warmer. Food warmers and pie warmers. Um, oh, I want some sort of information, not just to be able to purchase one. <laughs> the uh, history of the pie warmer. What about... Uh, no, it doesn't really... I can't find any... But it's a lot of Australian results, right? Yes. There's no American pie warmers. No. I mean, I used to consistently in LA go to House of Pies, which is all about pies, Will, as the name suggests. And they would have all their pies in a big carousel, but that was not a heated carousel. It was just like a like a jewellery carousel. I mean, well, it was probably a pie carousel, <laughs> a jewellery carousel. But then you would you'd make your selection and they would take the slice away and they'd heat it in a, in a pie warmer, I guess. They'd heat it. Or would they heat well, it in you know, no, they wouldn't heat it in a pie warmer because the pie warmer really is just to keep the pies at a consistent level. You're not putting something in a pie warmer to actually get it from zero to okay, pie warmth. Hey, Will, let's take a moment to talk about this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN, yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to talk about ExpressVPN. Talk to me about ExpressVPN. Well, ExpressVPN lets you access the internet as if you're from a different country. So let's say Netflix, right? They have different shows and movies available in different countries and you want to see that show but it's not available in your region. Well, 
With ExpressVPN, you can unlock thousands of new shows and movies from streaming libraries around the globe. Or, if you're a flat earther, around the disc. <laughs> I imagine you could probably use this to watch my TV show, Gruen, because it's only available in Australia. But if you're listening in a different country, you could set your settings to Australia and then you could access ABC iView and watch Gruen, right? Yeah, I reckon you could also access uh, Stan probably and watch my show, Blue Healers, uh, seasons 1 to 13, now available. Well, actually, if you go on to Stan, you can watch the Australian Lockdown Comedy Festival. You can watch uh, my stand-up special as well. In fact, this is not an ad for Stan, but it is an ad for other people in other countries who want to access Stan in Australia to get an ExpressVPN. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. You can stream everything in HD quality with zero buffering. ExpressVPN is available on every device, phones, laptops, tablets, and even your TV. And that's the best part, is because sometimes with some of these VPNs, you can't use them on your TV. So it's like, well, what's the point? I can get my favorite tv show like black adder or something but i have to watch it on my phone what is this the dark ages not with express vpn you can stream that right to your big ass tv black adder was not made to be watched on phones charlie <laughs> because black adder was made before you could watch things on phones if ben elton or rowan atkinson had suggested that one day black adder was going to be watched on a phone people would be staring at that thing that was stuck to the wall with a cord hanging out of it and going how could we possibly watch a television show on that ExpressVPN works with many streaming services. So like we said, Netflix, uh, Stan, Amazon Prime, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, and many, many more. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. It's so simple to use. Just fire up the ExpressVPN app, change your location, hit connect, and then refresh the page and the show or movie you want to watch, and it will magically appear like magic. Uh, I've been going down a bit of a Monty Python rabbit hole lately. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how I've been watching a bunch of documentaries, and I've been using my ExpressVPN to suck up every bit of Monty Python uh, content that's out there. So I've been on Amazon Prime, I've been on Netflix, I've been sucking up Monty Python content from all over the world, thanks to ExpressVPN. So, Will, if you want to use ExpressVPN, we've got a link that people can use right now. It's expressvpn.com slash tofop. That's expressvpn.com slash tofop. And they can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash tofop. Uh, I found food warmer. Oh, no, that's not really a pie warmer, though. No. Look... Here's what I'm going to say, Charlie. It's just not a lot of in the history of the pie warmer. So the if you, all right. Okay. You and I are opening a cafe and we need to order a pie warmer. Yeah. Have you found a company that we can get a pie warmer from? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, there's, there's heaps of places. Yeah, exactly. And they're all in Australia? Uh, Australia. You know what I'm, I'm going to do? Australia. Australia. Yeah. ExpressVPN, who are the sometimes sponsor of our, our podcast, I'm going to use my ExpressVPN to relocate to America oh, yeah, and okay. type in Pie Warmer and see if we get a result that tells us if Americans use Pie Warmers. Okay. Just <laughs> gripping stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm now in the United States, according to ExpressVPN. Full Dahlia. So I'm going to type in Pie Warmer. Let's see what that comes up with. Pie warmer. I mean, Americans might have some weird name for it, like they have weird names for things, like it's like pie insulator or something like that. Pie warmer. And I'm going to type in California because I think that will tell us if you can get a pie warmer in California. Here we go. Hmm. Yeah, okay. They're all Aussie. 
even when I'm re- located in the United States, the first five or six pie warmers are all Australian companies. I guess it must be an Australian kind of thing. Because I definitely noticed that when I was in the UK, that every bakery I went into that sold sausage rolls and pies, they were all cold. They were just sitting in the display window. They didn't, you couldn't buy a warm pie, which I thought was so odd. Why is it that we're the only people then who have decided... Your pie's got to be warm. Yeah. And what does everybody else know? And it's know? a hot country too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just put it outside, mate. you think we'd want a cold pie. Yeah, pie, yeah exactly. <laughs> the British, it's cold there and their pies are also cold when what you'd want is actually a warm pie. It's so strange, isn't it? You just sort of take it for granted. And it's and it's not just bakeries. Like, you go into a 7-Eleven, there's pie warmers. It must be so baffling to people from other countries. What is this device? <laughs> what manner of futuristic technology have you employed in this country down under? But it is. it does make me laugh that, you know, every country has their junk food or their snack food. And we just decided that meat, mince meat inside pastry, that's going to be our hot dog. That's our hamburger. It is funny, isn't it? Because when you say pie as an Australian, like in America, obviously they think of like pumpkin pie, pie or apple pie or, yeah. you know, the you know pecan pie. Whereas like in Australia, we really do exclusively when you say pie, think of meat pies. Yeah. And it's not even really that big in the UK, I don't think. Like they don't eat... Like in Australia, the, the cliche is like a tradie on his lunch break will yeah. eat a pie with sauce. And I live above a bakery and that cliche is true. Like often tradies at lunchtime are getting pies and sauce, but you don't really see that in other countries, do you? No, in England, they don't go and just buy. I mean, they're the, probably the most closest culturally to us. They don't go. And, and the fact that we don't even call it like a beef pie or a steak pie. Mm. It's literally just pie. a meat pie. A meat pie. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's got meat in it. And it, they do have <laughs> I mean, it like, feels like every five years or so, they'll do a four and 20. You know what's really in a four and 20 meat? And it's like gristle and bone and no- nostrils and all that kind of stuff. Well, not nostrils, but noses. <laughs> I'm making that up. Allegedly. <laughs> no, it's got nostrils. Uh, it has literally a space in it. I'm going to say what's in a four and 20 okay. pie. What? Do we want to know? Well, you don't eat meat. Oh, yeah, so. I'm, I'm happy to know. This is purely a speculative conversation. On my I mind. mean, I don't eat four and 20 pies un- unless I'm at the football. And I, I think that's more just some kind of, that's indoctrination because I'm just used to it. I don't particularly enjoy them, but I feel like if I'm going to eat a pie, this is where to do it. Okay. The classic four and 20 pie. Oh, by the way, overseas listeners, four and 20 is the most popular commercially available mass produced pie in Australia. It's the McDonald's of pies. Yeah. It's the, what would be the equivalent in America? Like a, yeah, McDonald's, I guess. But it's it's available oh, in convenience yeah, stores. But it's and, like the equivalent of like, there'd be a specific type of hot dog. Yeah. Like in America or, or whatever like it is that. that, you know, everybody would go, I use this brand hot dog. It's the most widely widespread, not necessarily the most delicious. It's not the gourmet version. It's your standard go-to version of a meat That's pie. It's available everywhere. You yep. can get it. It's the White Castle. It's you can buy take-home packets. You can buy it in store. Um, the classic four and twenty pie is filled with mutton and beef. It's a minimum of twenty-five percent. Yeah, so it's lamb. lamb. Yeah, mostly shoulder meat, spice gravy, carrot, and onion. Um, I didn't realize that it had vegetables in it as well. Yeah, no, there's always little chunks of of, of carrot you notice in there. Uh, okay, Australians that have the highest per capita. Meat pie consumption in the world. Does it have statistics on, you know, how far ahead of the rest of the world we are? Um, there's a link, I'll see. 
This is an article called Bye Bye American Pie. Uh, it was published in The Age in 2017. The sale of the sacred 4 and 20 pie to an American multinational generated outrage eight years ago, but now some now the Australian icon is coming home. Never has so much emotion been generated over a meat pie. <laughs> eight years ago, an American company bought 4 and 20 pies and Australia was outraged. Outraged. <laughs> the sacred pie... Invented in 1947 by L.T. McClure in a small Bendigo bakery, was now in the hands of an American multinational. Okay, so hang on. So it's come out of Bendigo in Australia, mm. the humble meat pie. Yeah. What year? Well, 4 and 20, not... The 4 and 20 pie. Okay, yeah. so what year did... Uh, uh, 19... Uh, uh, so uh, eight, uh, 2009, it got bought out by an American Yeah, but what year did this dude uh, come up with? 1947. This yeah. dude walk, you know, working LT away... L.T. McClure. L.T. McClure. Out in Bendigo, has a dream to make the best meat pie of all time. I mean, you could do a movie like, you know, you've seen The Founder with Michael Keaton mm. about to start at McDonald's. You should do one, get Russell Crowe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there's a guy who looks like he enjoys a pie these days, that's Rusty. I mean, I don't know what LT McClure looks like, but I imagine Russell Crowe's a good actor. He could play anyone. Last week, the American company... One pie at a time. <laughs> The American company Simplot sold 4 and 20 back to Australia because it reckons... Have your fucking pie. <laughs> yeah, Have your stupid fucking and meat eat it. pies and eat it. Uh, because it reckons the meat pies are out of fashion. How about that? America telling us our bloody national cuisine is out of fashion. They bloody bought our meat pies and then they bloody sold them back because apparently they're out of fashion. Well, you know what, America? You're out of fashion. You- we say... Bye-bye, American pie. This is a fucking Australian pie. You know what I reckon would have addressed this? If they had just got a photo of Chris Hemsworth in Byron Bay on his surfboard eating a meat pie, suddenly fucking Matt Damon would be out here chomping on a pie, Zac Efron. (laughs) Zac Efron would be having a couple of party pies. I reckon like that that was the problem is they didn't have the right marketing strategy. If you got like a super famous popular Australian in a beautiful part of Australia eating a meat pie, that'd be the next shrimp on the barbie. How much would it cost you, do you think, to get Chris Hemsworth to... Like, so not be the face of your campaign, okay. but you're just down at 4 and 20, right. and you're like, we need Hemsworth eating a pie. So We've just done an, the insta- an Instagram post. Instagram post of Chris Hemsworth, or even a paparazzi shot. You don't, you doesn't even have to post it himself. We just want to be able to send down like a camera crew to the beach while he's surfing in the morning and just see him honking on to a... <laughs> like there with, he's down there. Um, Elsa's is his name his wife's name Elsa. Elka or Elsa, no. Elsa. Elsa's brought down a pie warmer. She's yeah. on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> with a pie warmer the kids are there getting their own pies out and you just see it's a Hemsworth family shot him just having been surfing maybe Liam's there as well yeah. and they're all just hunking shirtless. on some shirtless hunking on some 4 and 20s how much does that cost? yeah I reckon I mean millions I reckon how millions. many millions? I mean, well, okay, between let's... 4 and 20 <laughs> <laughs> well I, so let's say he gets like tw- I'd say he gets like 20 million a movie right yep. for a Thor or something like that and so I reckon for a photo, five million. Okay. What if uh, you've given me another idea? Okay. What if they do a range, like, you know, often they'll do like with big movies, they'll have Transformer toys at McDonald's or that sort of stuff as part of a tie-in to a movie. What if they do a deal? Because they shot the last Thor movie in Australia, right? Yeah. Probably shooting the next one in Australia. Could they do like a Thor and 20 oh specialist pie God, that as would... a tie-in? 
and they maybe have like some sort of product placement within the movie, chipping some money to the yeah. making of the movie. When in Asgard, yeah. the gods eat four and the, twenty pies. The food of the gods. <laughs> the food of the four gods. Four and twenty. The food of the gods. Shit. That I mean, yes, that would definitely work. I mean, and and Marvel and Disney are into product placement for sure. Mm. I think how much so? How much do you think four and twenty would need to pay Marvel or Disney? to get the Thor and 20 pie in there. That would be more than 5 million. I reckon they would have to. No, nah, that's that's more like 30, it's going 30 million dollars. 30 million dollars. 30 million dollars for the exclusive Thor and 20 pie tie-in in the movie. And I think if Tyke is directing this mm. new one, you could do it very cheekily as a very obvious product placement, like a nod and a wink to the camera. All of a sudden, in this fantasy movie, Thor's just stopping to chow down on a pie and everyone would love it because it's Taika and it's Chris Hensworth and we know they're joking and we know he's Australian and it's a little nod and a wink. And even the Thor and 20 has that daggy pun humour that Taika's fond of. So I reckon you could totally get away with it. Yeah, the adventures of Loki unplugging the pie warmer in Asgard. <laughs> Um, Simplot made the pie slightly spicier when it was in the States oh, to yeah. accommodate Australia's changing taste buds in the face of exotic flavours flowing in from Asia. Other than that, the recipe remained unchanged. But Simplot's success in the pie market has been limited. It says it has taken 4 and 20 from a Victorian brand to a national brand. Okay, so they didn't buy it to take to America. They bought it to expand in Australia. Which I would have thought they didn't need any help with that. Have you ever been to a state in Australia that doesn't have four and twenty pies? I know, but it is specifically Victorian pie. Other states have like their Balfour's. versions of yeah, exactly. They in have their own South four and twenty. Balfour's is a South Australian, right? I think so. Yes. And Hel Helga's is another one. Mrs. Something. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Um, they took it national. Raising the market share in eight years from 30% to 35%, not a significant increase for an international company the size of Simplot. Nevertheless, while 4 and 20 remains the best-selling Victorian pie, mm. Simplot wants to get the business, get, uh, get, simply wants to get of the business for several reasons, including the fact that meat pies are not a healthy food. <laughs> it's mate, You knew that when you were fucking <laughs> buying it, mate. It took you eight years to work that Hang out. On, I don't reckon this mix of mutton, mutton and gristle carrot is actually good for people. It's probably a category would be wasting our time in. This is the nastiest. <laughs> like, I mean, generally when like businesses like announce their lingo, it's like you know we wish them all the best. This what? is like it's probably a category we'd be wasting our time in. Yeah. Fuck we, off, you stupid meat pies. We can't even take this product and milk the hell out of it because there's just not enough profitability in it, says Simplot, Australia's managing director, Terry O'Brien. According to the company's research, Australians are the world's biggest consumers of meat pies per capita. Okay, so on average, Will, how, uh, how many pies do, do people eat? Uh, average out over each person in Australia yeah. and over what period of time? Um, just says per capita, so each person. So if the amount of pies that are consumed in Australia per year, per year, we'll you say. think per person? Yep, per person. Okay, so there's two categories: how many meat pies, and then expanded to how many like pastry goods, so sausage rolls, pasties, and stuff. There's two figures. Okay, each person in Australia over a period of a year eats five meat pies and eight pastry products. 12 meat pies and 17 pastry products, including wow. pastry, sausage rolls, party pies. Hey, it's per year. Simplot says its Kensington plant is the largest pie factory in the world, baking 50,000 pies an hour, but it's just not enough. We don't see a lot of opportunity to innovate in pastries. <laughs> <laughs> says O'Brien. 
They've been around for a hundred years or more and there's not a lot of opportunity. We don't see the category growing. We're seeing it shrinking largely on the back of consumer trends. Those trends are manifest in the desire among an increasing number of Australians to eat healthier, less fattening food. And quite frankly, meat pies just don't cut the mustard. Well, that makes sense. But I mean, look, I'm a dude who uh, likes to find healthy uh, versions or healthier alternatives to, to junk food classics. I'm sure there must be a healthy... There'd be a version of a pie where you... I imagine it's the fat content and the pastry. That's the all the butter and. So what you're saying is the problem is all the ingredients of the pie, <laughs> <laughs> and probably the sugary sauce that you put on top of it to make it edible. Yeah. I so think... the three key ingredients of the pie: the pastry of the pie, the filling of the pie, and the sauce on the top are just the only things that we need to deal with. Otherwise, the pie's fine. I mean, you could probably. I th- and they've probably, I think they even did this. I think they did a thin crust four and 20 pie. It was meant to be like less carb density. It was like a thinner crust. So you could do that. Well, what if you did an iceberg lettuce meat pie? So replace, <laughs> replace the pie. So you cook, you, rather than cooking with like a lot of fatty meats, yeah. you take lean beef or kangaroo, which is right. really high in protein, really low in fat. It's a really good meat for you. you kangaroo mince. In an iceberg lettuce, four and twenty's new healthy pie. How well does that sell? <laughs> well, firstly, you can't put cold lettuce in your fucking pie warmer, so yeah, already true. that technology's buggy because you've got like soggy lettuce there. What about? Um, but you get those dehydrated veggie chips, right? Like beetroot chips and stuff like that. If you could construct a like a pie shape out of like dried beetroot or spinach or something like that, so it's like an organic non-carb yeah. pie casing yeah. and then filled that with ultra lean kangaroo meat spice yeah here's what would happen you go out of business because <laughs> nobody wants that well you take a banana and some oats <laughs> everything's a pie this is a banana oat meat pie guys <laughs> come on earlier this year simplot acquired the john west range of tuna salmon sardines and okay. other seafood a business that's worth reportedly 140 million a year and is growing at eight cents eight uh, percent a year yeah simplot's existing brands include bird's eye sea lord legos as in pasta not yeah. lego that, <laughs> that'd be great if it was actually lego yeah. <laughs> like to be honest we made a mistake we thought we were coming up with the pasta <laughs> brand but we actually bought lego all these little plastic bricks and edgel uh, the takeover provides the company with a chance for growth at the health end of the food product spectrum and nutrition is what consumers want says o'brien this is 2017 do you reckon do you reckon anything's changed in the yeah, last Yeah, everything's years? changed. All bets are fucking off on nutrition at the moment, I, I think, think during so. lockdown. I think some people are into super nutrition, but a lot of people are comfort eating during these times, I would have thought. But this might be a time for the pie comeback. Like, I mean, this morning you were tempted by the pie warmer down at the local shop. Well, knowing I think I, people not, are drinking more. Knowing I, I was up here. pie is like a hangover sort of There's I know food. there's so many great bakeries, like, you know, driving up here, you know... Um, from the airport, I was passing through all these towns that have great famous bakeries. But yesterday, I could not get a pie because they were all, it was about 3 p.m. and all the bakeries are sold out of pies. Yeah, well, there you go. It so might... they are there. Yeah, so suck shit, Simplot. <laughs> you missed it. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't anticipate a pandemic driving people back into the warm embrace of a More like of a, a pie demic. <laughs> the lukewarm embrace of a pie demic. Uh, okay, our takeover of John West definitely shows you the direction we're taking, uh, says O'Brien. For Simplot, the general strategy for growth is to get out of fattening products such as pies and get into healthier foods such as fish. I guess it's the pies that John West rejects that makes them the best. Do they? Did 420 don't do a fish pie, do they? 
Because oh. that way you could get the best of both That's worlds, not right? something I want in a pie warmer. No, just the fish pie being it's, sitting it's, there all day. That feels like that feels like how the pandemic starts, yeah. not how it ends. <laughs> so when the company sold four and twenty, it also sold Nana's apple pies, yep. Wedgwood pastries, and Herbert Adams bakery products. Fucking Herbert right. Adams, remember them? They were so they were essentially having like a um, carpet warehouse going out of the pie business sale. We've got pies, we've got cheap pies, we've got to get rid of these pies. I think Herbert Adams. From my, I mean, I haven't seen Herbert Adams products since I was a kid. But my mum, if I was a good boy, would go to uh, go to uh, Franklin's or the No Frills supermarket and get Herbert Adams frozen donuts. That's what I remember. Is you could you get frozen donuts from Herbert Adams. We uh, like don't eat a lot of frozen foods, but there's this product called Amy's, which is like a vegetarian sort of like you know mac cheese mm. operation that you just put in the oven, which is absolutely delicious. And I can see the appeal of the the frozen dinner. Like there is part of me just going, oh, you just put it in the oven, yeah, and then you eat it. There yeah. is, I can see that there is a lot of you know research around the rise of convenience food, and it really was. You know, particularly popular in America. And again, like we started talking about at the start with the Roomba, the idea was that this convenience food would lead to the idea that we would all have more time. so much more time and <laughs> yeah. things to do with our lives because of the convenience of this food. It's when you start cooking. Like I only really started getting into cooking in the last three or four years and I do all the cooking now and all the shopping and stuff. And it's only once you start doing that and then you start thinking back to what you used to eat and you're like, oh my God, what the fuck was I putting into my body? Because I used to, when I would be concentrating on writing i'd often go away and i would buy like a week's worth of frozen meals because i was like i need to stay in the zone man and so i'd just be sitting there eating that slop that pretend beef and gravy and frozen peas and shit it's like how many preservatives and stuff are in this to to make it vaguely like appetizing by the time you microwave it Oh, yeah, so many, I yeah. imagine, right? Yeah, they have to be. Right? But that's what you're saying about the pie market as well. Like you know, these, these young tradies in particular who are, you know, starting the day with a hot pie and a, you know, a iced coffee milk or something, a chocolate milk. They're just working on a work site all day, and their bodies are just like craving, craving sugar, carbs. Yeah, all these like just the cheapest, nastiest nutrients that you can well, get into your body. That's what, I, you know, I think about Scottish cuisine. Like we've talked about Scottish cuisine before. There's even a video on uh, Tofop TV on YouTube where we get uh, our good friend Scott Galt, who's uh, a Scotsman, to break down uh, the finest in Scottish takeaway. But you look how fucking disgusting that shit is, but then you look at the country they live in, it's like, if it was below freezing, like, to 70% of the year, and you just want warm, comforting, fat-layering food, yeah, you would eat a, a, a slice of pizza that's been battered and deep-fried. Exactly. <laughs> what you're not looking for is a nice, light, refresh, re refreshing iceberg lettuce salad <laughs> at that stage. The good news for Simplot was there was a buyer when they were ready to sell. Paddy's Bakery based in Gippsland, oh, okay. the Gippsland town of Bansdale. It produces the pie not that is... not far from where I grew up, Bansdale. Yeah. Did you know about Paddy's Pies? Were they like no. celebrities? Oh, Paddy's Pies, yes, I think, like we're a popular local pie. But when you're in a small country town, we weren't eating... The mass-produced pie. No, local bakery. Yeah. There was a local bakery in Hayfield and all the pies would have exclusively come from the Hayfield bakery. And they would be good too, because that's like real farm-to-table type stuff right like yeah, the beef the, would be the high so, grade i mean i haven't had a sausage roll some of it's about it's just being a childhood memory and mm. a treat and those sort of things but like the sausage rolls at the hayfield bakery i remember still as being the greatest sausage rolls i've ever eaten in my life 
Well, Paddy's Pies are second only to 4 and 20 for sales in Victoria. Paddy's Bakery is a family business with a non-unionized workforce. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Paddy's Bakery uh, is connected to the mafia. Yeah. <laughs> the Irish mafia, I imagine, with a name like Paddy. Uh, actually, uh, by the look of the surname, I don't think it, it's uh, the Six Ridge Brothers. Paddy Gambino. <laughs> the Gambino crime family. It's the Ridges Brothers, and uh, or maybe it's Rijes, R-I-J-S Brothers, and it okay. has a market share of about 15%. The brothers' parents emigrated from Holland okay. in the mid-1950s and started the business in 1966. So I wonder if the Dutch have a tradition of meat pies. I wonder if they bought some of their... Dutch knowledge I mean they've got the pie oven they also have the, the Dutch oven <laughs> that's how they keep theirs warm you've got to be careful when you're having a Patty's pie was this heated in a regular pie warmer or one of your dirty Dutch ovens <laughs> they had to change the name of it when they got to Australia to the pie warmer because for some reason people didn't want to put their pies in their painting and Dutch ovens <laughs> these Dutch ovens are so popular back in Holland like, we invented them. It's a point of national pride, the person who invented the first Dutch oven, and yet here in this country, <laughs> people just don't want to use our Dutch ovens. We invested 90% of our business in taking the Dutch oven to Australia, and they claim they already have some version of a Dutch oven. I mean, what a way to completely debase and trivialise an entire country of people by coming up with a Dutch oven. Like, they had no say in that. Like we just said, yeah, it's a Dutch oven. Like, where does that come from? And why are we kind of landing? How do we know that it does not have any roots in Holland? Maybe it was a Dutch backpacker who was traveling <laughs> around the world and just like accidentally let one slip in bed one night and the Australian girl's been disgusted by it and he goes, Oh no, 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 no. And that's how we keep our pies warm. <laughs> grab a pie. Go and grab a pie. This, I'm, you I'm understand. About, I'm a, misunderstand. About to show you something amazing. <laughs> The CEO, Richard Rees, promises he will not change the 4 and 20 recipe or cooking method. He's just glad that 4 and 20 is finally back in Australian hands and is considering lobbying the AFL to take on the 4 and 20 product as its official pie now that it's home again. I think it is. I, th I think yeah. the 4 and 20 is the official pie of the AFL. Uh, yeah, that phrase you just said, I think, is their actual slogan, right? The official pie of the AFL? It, it, well, sounds like it. Sounds like it. We're just ecstatic and the town of Bairnsdale is absolutely over the moon. But if they ever form a union, we'll crush them. <laughs> the town's fine. Yeah. Our workers <laughs> miserable, terribly and have no right of recompense. The 4 and 20 pie factory in Kensington will be shut down. The entire operation will move to Bairnsdale, where the Paddy's factory has just undergone a multi-million dollar upgrade. How did they afford that multi-million dollar upgrade, Will, do you think? Yeah, not paying their workers correctly. Allegedly. We don't actually know. That's Maybe they're treated really well. They're on individual I contracts. I should point out, they're actually a real company and they're probably not connected with crime families or mistreating their workers. Conveyor belts at Paddy's, which make uh, two brands, the Snowy River Pies and the Paddy's Pies, different recipes. Mm. They roll out at a rate of more than 18,000 an hour. Different recipes, sure. Yep, yep, yep. Two so different like conveyor Duff, belts. The Duff Beer yeah. Factory. <laughs> Uh, they believe the 4 and 20 deal will boost uh, the company's total market share to about 45% and increase annual turnover between 35 and $110 million. Well, That's quite low. I would have thought it was higher. I mean, it's a lot of money, but I just would have thought it was higher. Uh, One of the greatest things about pies is that you said there's a lot of great bakeries around this area, but I've never met a bakery that did not claim it had the best pies in Australia. Yeah, it's standard. Yeah. Like, I think it's the... 
least valued award in the history of awards is a place saying that it has the best pie in Australia. Has some fancy like Michelin star restaurant reinvented the pie? Is there like a $30 meat pie you can get with I'm like... I'm sure that would be the case. I'm going to Google world's most expensive meat pie and see if... Uh... But it's got to be... It can't be some like knockoff, foreign knockoff. It's got to be Aussie style meat pie. I don't want some shepherd's pie or some fucking fancy but it, that's what it would be it would have gold in it or something it's got to have the no but it's got there's got to be some we've got to agree on some certain ground rules like it's got okay. to be that sort of shortbready pastry it's got or flaky pastry is okay it's got to um have like mince or beef chunks in it and gravy okay um most expensive meat pie let's see what we get here uh all right here we go uh, the world's most expensive meat pie. Um, the world's most expensive meat pie is on the menu in Willara. So Willara, oh, yeah, Sydney, makes sense. does not come with chips. It's made with Grange, the uh, expensive wine. wine, and Gold Leaf. Oh, fucking, <laughs> fucking knew it. told you. And it comes with a price tag to match. It's called the Posh Pie. It's on the menu at the Lord Dudley Hotel okay. in Willara. Uh, it's made with Wagyu eye fillet. Yeah. Okay, so that's your mince. Beef. Yeah. Right? Uh, it also has in it Western Australian rock lobsters, black truffles, and gold leaf, along with organic vegetables and two bottles of Penfold's Grange. It just sounds like a fucking wine. It's a wine pie. It's the result of a three-week experimentation process by executive chef Paul Metcalf. Um, I've well, eaten at the Lord Dudley and it is a ridiculously overpriced pub. <laughs> well, my approach, uh, says uh, Paul, my approach was to take the classic surf and turf concept and replicate it into a pie yeah. using the best quality ingredients I could get my hands on. After weeks of tinkering away in the kitchen, I think the posh pie is well deserving of its record-breaking title. Okay, here we go. Um, so the pie itself is... We're talking about a pie that is enough for the entire table, from as far as I can see. Okay, so, right. so it's something like a... that we would order amongst four or five people. Okay. This pie, so we could probably, you know, divide by five to come up with what the cost would be if you were just ordering like a a regular pie. Okay. So oh, what? So really? Okay. So so is it like? So if you were just ordering a serve for yourself, like the entire is that five, five times for... a regular pie? Is that what you're saying? Well, no, I'm saying like there's a price here for what this pie costs, but this yeah. pie would serve five people. five people. I'm going to say so. I'm going to divide it by. In fact, it might serve six. So I'm going to divide. Is it uh, if is it each person paying five bucks for an average lunch at a a pub? Is that what it works out to be? Like, so I'm I'm guessing I'm thinking in my head. I'm thinking it's like between 100 and 120 dollars higher, 150 dollars higher. Fuck off! <laughs> How much is this pie? The entire pie will cost you. $12,000. What? That is ridiculous. <laughs> what? Who's eating that pie? They bring it out in a gold pie warmer. Oh my God. And they put the gold pie warmer by the side of your table. <laughs> they bring out a Dutch chef. <laughs> and a dude. The finishing touch. <laughs> Most of the expense is in the mattress, the Duna cover, and the Dutch chef. Uh, has anyone eaten it? Has anyone paid for it? Is it just one of those gimmicky, let's write an article things? Uh, Can't tell you that. Don't know. 
All right. Um, all right, that's enough pie chat. Well, let's get to some mail. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can go to our website, tofop.com, brand new. There's a contact form for any of our podcasts. This, Philosophy, Two Guys, One Cup. And while you're there, why don't you check out some of these other shows that we do? Or why don't you check out links to uh, our comic books and, and YouTube? There's a whole bunch of stuff there. Basically, we want you to go to our website and sign up to our newsletter as well. Do that, and we'll love you forever. This is from Sassy. Hey, Love the podcast, and I hope I can see you live again if the world ever returns to normal at some point. I am not a medical professional. Well, what is the point of continuing, Will? Let's let's find out first. Is there any explanation of what this person is? They've said they're not a medical professional. Yes, the next that, line is okay. what they do. Well, let, I'm not going to judge them judge until I hear the next line, but I'm ready to judge. Uh, I'm not a medical professional, mm. and I don't work for the council, mm-hmm. but I do work for a waste company who conduct waste pickups, including hard waste and run waste facilities. No, I'm fine with that. This is, I mean, it's pertinent to our interests. It's pertinent to our interests, but also I would say medical work in a way you'd have to be disposing of like sanitation, like, you know, keeping society clean, you know, making sure that like, you know, um, particular types of garbage aren't getting into the wrong systems and polluting the rest of us. It feels very, Medical connected, medical okay. adjacent, right. close enough for our podcast. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've been in the industry for over twenty years, and the ongoing bin discussions have been incredibly entertaining to me. Well, finally, we we found our audience <laughs> for people who are medically adjacent in well, the sanitation industry. Well, this might industry. be our expansion into broadening our appeal from people who are medical professionals into a world where we suddenly pick up a massive waste management audience as well. <laughs> well appropriate that people who clean up shit <laughs> listen to our shit okay if it makes you feel better we constantly get complaints in the public about what people have put in their bins or what has been left on the side of the road oh, i think 80 percent of those calls are from me yeah <laughs> yeah when we sure. say people it's just charlie doing his different accents yeah. there's a french guy yeah. there was a scottish guy <laughs> but they all seem to be mad about the same set of teenagers <laughs> In particular, a lot of our calls are from older members of the public who are cranky that their bin wasn't picked up at the same time as normal. We often get calls if the truck on that run is even 15 minutes later than normal. I haven't even noticed if the garbage pickup is at a regular time. I know it happens in the morning, but I haven't noticed if it's... Would you... Well, maybe not out here, but you know, when you're living in the city, did you notice your bin collection time? I would hear them come. They would come at a pretty regular time, but... I didn't really jot it down. Here, I, I do notice there is a wide variation. Sometimes immediately the next morning, the bin's already been emptied. And then sometimes it takes until mid-morning for him to come by and empty the bin. So uh, I've noticed it more here than I have when I was living in the city. It does seem like an old, like an old cranky old person thing to worry about is the bin, the garbage truck is 15 minutes late. I mean, that's when you've got, when you're retired and you don't have much to complain about, that seems. How am I meant to feel my day? Yeah. What else am I going to complain about? (laughs) It's disturbing. The way my daughter's raising her children? Yes, I'm going to get to that, but I want to do something (laughs) in the morning and it's the bins. It's disturbing how many people are waiting around outside for the pickup so they can put the bin away as soon as it's empty. That's not disturbing. When you live in the wild, wild west like I do and people are dumping in your bins, that's just common sense. Get your bin back behind the safety of the gate before someone dumps their shit in it. Well, that doesn't make sense to a certain extent, right? As soon as your bin is clean and empty, you want it straight back inside. So, of course, you're monitoring what time it is. You don't want anyone from the neighborhood trying to put a Christmas tree in it. This actually suddenly makes sense to me. I mean, out here, it would be a fair effort for somebody to come by and dump stuff in my bin. But if I was 
you know, living in an area where people are constantly dumping. Yeah, you want to know immediately. In fact, you want like a text. I want some sort of, you know, text from the company, some sort of app that says, yeah, we've just emptied your bin. Mm, come and come, collect come it straight it. away. It's a microchip or something yeah. you could put in your bin. We know what people are doing now with my, my bin situation, how it's evolved, is that because uh, I live sort of adjacent to an alleyway, so the people who live down the alleyway, they've got to wheel their bins all the way up the alleyway to leave on the main street to get collected because the truck won't go down the alleyway, obviously. So now people have just decided, oh, we'll just leave, we're going to leave our bins at the end of the alleyway, alleyway outside my gate. So where there should be just like the three normal bins, the greens, recycle and regular one outside my gate, there's now like um, half a dozen bins. Sometimes it gets up to like 10 bins where people are like, ah, fuck it. I'll just leave it there for a few days. So we, I'm, I'm, it went from me having been stolen to now I'm accumulating other bins. Interesting. Does that mean that I can dump in their bin if they're leaving it outside my oh. property? What, so hurt people hurt people? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm just saying, if you, you're going to leave your bin... You're saying that you're going to pass your hurt that you've experienced from society onto others. So often it happens, Charlie. The person who becomes a bully was a person who was bullied I'm not bullying anyone. Place. You are leaving your bin outside my gate. I assume yeah. what you're saying is, hey, put your rubbish in here. <laughs> is it? I think, you know, maybe you need some sort of verbal or written consent before you start dumping in other people's bins. Well, I think you need some verbal or written consent before you dump your bin outside my gate. Yeah, what are you doing, mate, out on the street like that? <laughs> Looking for someone to dump their rubbish in you, aren't you? Your Honour. Hard waste requirements and what householders can put out changes in each council area. As a generalisation, most councils won't accept mattresses because they are difficult to pick up. Okay. Shouldn't be put in normal trucks because it destroys the compaction rate and are expensive to dismantle and dispose of. Often mattress disposal operations are run by community outreach programs, but the dismantling operations are really terrible from a health and safety perspective when completed manually. Hmm. Mm. If the council does allow mattresses to be picked... So, hang on. So, is the option then that you have to take your own mattress to a dump? Or do you, is, it called, is it a private service that you call? Well, he was saying there is some sort of like... organization. She was saying there's some sort of organization where, you know, I don't know whether it's a community commercial operation or a community... Groups. But doesn't you know, operation or if it's a government operation, but it's separate to the waste management operation, clearly. Yeah. What does community outreach mean in this context, though? I don't know. Like, it's not a charity. because well, it could be, still, I suppose. But they're still dumping them, though. You know, because they won't take... You can't, like, give a mattress to... I know, but it still might be some sort of public service in that, like, you know, oh, we'll come and get your mattress for you and we'll dispose of it. Yeah, right. I guess occasionally, one in every thousand, they find some money that someone forgot they'd hidden in their mattress and it makes the business worth <laughs> Worthwhile. doing. If the council does allow mattresses to be picked up, they'll usually be collected in a separate truck with white goods and metal objects that may have value to try and avoid putting them in the rear loaders. And in answer to your other comment, yes, a lot of hard waste collected isn't recycled and does go straight into landfill. It all depends on what the council is willing to pay for. I mean, what do we do about this landfill situation? Can we dig a hole into the Earth's core where it's really hot and just dump it all in there? Yeah, that'll go fine. <laughs> Definitely. Let's try that. Let's just try it. Let's dig a big fucking hole in the middle of the Earth's core and dump our old washing machines and mattresses into it. Or see what happens. Drop into a volcano or something like that. Can we airlift all the world's rubbish into a, like a, when a volcano erupts, we just plug it up with landfill? So, yeah, okay, you're saying that we monitor seismic events and whatever and earthquakes and whatever and we just have this supply of mattresses and, like, old washing machines yeah. that are ready to be... Like that Elvis 
um, you, you know, the giant, what is it? Like it's a helicopter that basically they use to fight bushfires. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it has like a way of scooping up all this water. And then, you know, so is there a version of that that's just filled with mattresses? Rubbish. For like plastic toys. Ready to happy go. Happy meal shit. Just junk. Show bag fillings. You just drop them into a volcano. <laughs> A sinkhole has opened up in our community. Don't worry, guys. We've got heaps of old Lego we can put in there. What about, don't tiger sharks eat everything? Like, you know, they'll cut a tiger shark open and it'll have like a number plate in there or something. Can't we just feed? So just breed more tiger sharks yeah. is what you're saying? Start breed a giant farms. army of tiger sharks. And feed them garbage. Yeah. Then <laughs> no, what could go wrong. Then what do we do with the tiger sharks once they die? Um, Throw them in a volcano. In a volcano. <laughs> See? It all works out. Smell like flake. Circle of life. Yeah. <laughs> you throw, you make the tiger sharks eat your rubbish, and you throw the tiger, <laughs> the tiger sharks, sharks in, the in the volcano. Makes sense. How did we let this guy in this meeting? No, <laughs> you're on up. Quite a few years. Uh, quite a few areas have completely cancelled hard waste pickups because of COVID. Oh yeah, of course. It's pretty expensive for councils in most areas, so I wouldn't be surprised if they use this as an excuse to get rid of the collections altogether. Well, that would be disastrous what happens then well people just have to then hide. tiger sharks that's when you start <laughs> then that's, again what, how, how do we let this guy back in the bedding we literally just keep him out <laughs> just see him not, knocking from under the tiger shark i'm going to you um i can talk about this all day but i'm not sure uh, uh but i'm sure this is already 10 times as much as anyone really wants to hear thank you for the weekly last sarah no sarah i mean i'm look if you want to write back in and give us more insight i'm fascinated by this whole what is happening with the rubbish stuff because I don't think we do. Craig Rucastle knows. Uh, Willosophy guest Craig Rucastle, he's very familiar with the uh, waste disposal system in Australia, isn't he? He says that uh, because of the fact that he's done war on waste and now he's done this new show, Fight for Planet A, you know, both environmentally, Steve. He said for a while he went from being that guy from the chase to two people just calling him Bin Guy. You're that Bin Guy. <laughs> I, I know you. You're bin the Bin Guy. guy. <laughs> and then people will ask him complicated questions about bin rules and bin etiquette and, he, and of course because it is from council to council they have different rules it's not like he is across every council in australia and what they should be doing with their bins well maybe if our plan we can put our plan into effect in a few years time craig rucas will be known as tiger shark guy yeah <laughs> the guy who advocates for mass breeding of tiger sharks to be fed rubbish until they die and then when they die they're dumped into volcanoes season eight of war on waste he goes look guys I hoped it wasn't going to come to this. I told you to, you know, use your keep cups and that didn't solve it. So <laughs> it's time for tiger, tiger sharks. sharks. <laughs> for the last eight years, I've been breeding an army of tiger sharks. Um, all right, let's wrap it up there. Yes. So uh, we've got other podcasts you can listen to. Again, go to the website to check out all the stuff there. They've got links to all the other podcasts. Tofop.com. Who's on Willosophy this week? Craig Rucastle. Oh. Uh, so there will be two episodes of Willosophy this week, I think. Uh, there'll be a Monday episode, so people that will be already out. But if you are signed up to the Willosophy Patreon page, we are now doing... Uh, episodes for people who were signed up there where you will get it a day earlier than it goes out yeah, for the rest that? of the feed and it will also be advertising free so that was something that was requested a lot by patreon contributors so because you're contributing to the the podcast financially uh you get the clean feed a day before it goes up anywhere else and we're going to try to do a catch-up episode with celia Picola later in the week as well and then next week i'll give a bit of a heads up to the one coming up because i recorded it a few days ago and it's a cracker it's one of my favorite episodes i've done of the 
uh, of philosophy for a fair while with Jordan Raskopoulos, awesome. who has an incredibly interesting story to tell, but also has just some really insightful things to say about the current state of the world and some of the solutions that we could uh, go forward with. So uh, one to look out for. Could we make it a Patreon level that you get Craig uh, uh, back on the the pod and just ask him about the tiger shark scenario just a five minute mini episode where you say look charlie and i've been talking we think we've got a solution and just see what his take is if people like that then we could do a regular series where every month we get craig rucastle back on and we pitch him another (laughs) okay all right so you didn't like tiger sharks we blasted into outer space did we talk to you about volcanoes (laughs) yet we got this volcano we drilled to the center of the earth and dump it on the earth's molten core i think that like Dumping it in the earth core of the earth and blasting it into space are both things that have literally been considered by people. So I oh, wouldn't surprise yeah, me. Tiger sharks, on the other hand, that, <laughs> that one might be one of our own, I think. Uh, and if you're into AFL, we have another podcast, Two Guys, One Cup, where each week we sort of talk about football, sort of. but it's more like this with some vaguely football-adjacent chat. Uh, but I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. <laughs> <laughs>